It's time for Forward Nation Radio. Now here he is, the host of Forward Nation Radio, David Leventhal. In the news this week, Donald Trump, the President of the United States, is a hypocrite, a liar, and a criminal. Wait, that's not news. None of that's news. I guess also in the news this week. It's December, and it's cold in New York. Oh, and this is Forward Nation Radio, and I'm David Leventhal, and we appreciate your joining us. Anyway, our so-called Newsweek got off to an almost humorous start when a longtime housekeeper for Trump at one of his golf resorts pointed out that she was an undocumented immigrant supported by many other of her fellow housekeepers. This is so-called news because we've obviously, those who have been paying attention, have known for a long time that Trump has been, has been hiring undocumented immigrants even as he rails against undocumented immigrants. The humorous part of this, I suppose, is that she's come out to say it and that, in fact, she received a certificate from the White House in lieu of, I'm assuming, being paid actual money. Nevertheless, she's probably being a little churlish here. I mean, assuming that she was one of the few Trump employees who was actually being paid and probably earning a few dollars an hour and getting White House certificates and being able to change his undoubtedly urine-soaked sheets, gosh, what does she have to complain about? As opposed to, of course, other people who've come out this week who've worked for Trump and what they've had to say, starting with his national security advisor, Michael Flynn, his consigliere of a long time, Michael Cohen, and of course, Paul Manafort, his former campaign advisor for a long time, all of whom have been the subject of sentencing memorandums and other public documents and indictments from the special counsel, Robert Mueller, and from, in fact, Trump's own Justice Department. Yes, kind of remarkable that this, all of this, makes it perfectly clear that Donald Trump is a liar and a criminal. In fact, he is named in an indictment. Well, when I say makes perfectly clear, I mean, you know, if Donald Trump's own statements to that effect haven't already convinced listeners that he's obviously a liar and a criminal, again, there's no news here, for the most part, about the fact that the president is a criminal, perhaps other than that people are talking about it in his orbit. The news here, perhaps, is maybe Mueller is close to issuing some pseudo-final reports about Trump's involvement and Trump's criminal behavior. It's hard to imagine Mueller could almost be done because we know that the extent of Donald Trump's criminal behavior is is so broad that it's hard to imagine that it w- would take less than years to untangle all the criminal conduct he has been involved in. I know Mueller has a more limited mandate, but even among the stuff he's obviously been looking at, it's hard to imagine he could finish. However, one does see evidence at this point that Mueller may be near some kind of conclusion, at least issuing some verdict with a, oh, by the way, here's a whole bunch of other things that we need to keep looking at that we haven't looked at yet. So maybe we're getting near the point of decision time in this country. 
People are already talking about the fact that the House of Representatives, the soon-to-be newly Democratic majority of the House of Representatives, will have a decision to make. Will have a decision to make. Seriously, let's talk about this and how this so reflects the differences in the two political parties in this country. The Republican Party seeks to impeach over shit it makes up. It attacks its opponents based on lies. Here, you've got a president who will be shown by his own tweets, his own statements, and undoubtedly, well, already, again, by the Justice Department, by the special counsel, to be a criminal, to be obstructing justice, to be involved in conspiracy, to to be involved in collusion with a hostile foreign power, to be involved in federal felony campaign finance violations to help steal an election. He'll be shown to be all these things, and yet the discussion among Democrats is, oh gosh, do you think we should go ahead and and, and investigate and try to impeach? Oh, I don't know. How will that look politically? Yes, the supporters of Republicans want their reward, their politicians, for making up lies and then acting on them. Whereas apparently the supporters of Democrats can't even get behind supporting impeachment of an absolute criminal who's running this country as if it's his own piggy bank and that of Vladimir Putin? Seriously? How different are these parties? How are we even having this conversation? Ultimately, the Democrats are going to have no choice. Because if the president is shown to overwhelmingly be a criminal, it is the job of the House of Representatives to vote articles of impeachment. They'll do what they can first to try to give themselves political cover, including showing that they're really standing up for the people. But why is it that Democrats always help cover up for Republican presidents who are criminals? Not least of which, of course, Barack Obama, who let all the criminal behavior of the Bush administration get brushed under the rug. Anyway, among Trump's associates who've been in the news this week talking... Rex Tillerson, the former Secretary of State, got himself back into the news. He probably felt bad not being in the headlines for a little while. And it's really something when the longtime head of ExxonMobil, a global oil company destroying the planet for profit, can actually take the moral high ground. And in giving a speech, Rex Tillerson pointed out, again, not news to anybody, effectively that the President of the United States is a moron and at least a criminal wannabe. Apparently asking Rex Tillerson several times to do things that would break the law and having to be reminded that he didn't want to do that because it would break the law. Not knowing, of course, that Trump didn't particularly care about such niceties. Anyway, Trump responded by pointing out that his first Secretary of State, the man he put fourth in line for succession to the presidency of the United States, is an idiot and a lazy person who doesn't work hard. And this will, of course, not even rattle around the brains of Trump supporters, assuming that we're assuming facts, not in evidence there, uh, assuming such things exist. But just before we went to record right now, the chief of staff, John Kelly, has announced that he will be out of his position, again, not a big surprise here, by the end of the year. Remember that John Kelly, despite his propensity for lying, is 
basically the last remaining adult, or one of two last remaining adults in the White House around President Trump. Yeah, that's what it takes to be an adult in the Trump administration. John Kelly has just announced that he's leaving. I posed a question with some of my friends the other night. If Donald Trump manages to last to run for re-election, one of the most entertaining things on this planet, and also scary at the same time, will be the kind of garbage he would have to get to work on his campaign. (laughs) With everybody basically running away from this criminal. Anyway, we'll of course continue to follow this story as it continues to break and give us more news, which is completely not news. Speaking of news that's completely not news, but probably is in fact news for most people, it was for me. Do you know that a week from today, or a week from the day we're recording this, December 15th is the deadline for applying for insurance under the Affordable Care Act or seeking to change your insurance coverage, your health insurance coverage under the Affordable Care Act. Did you know that? I'm guessing you didn't. I'm guessing pretty much everyone doesn't. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And why does nobody pretty much know about this deadline? Well, of course, as we've talked about before, the White House is doing everything it can to sabotage the ACA, including not publicizing the fact that people can and should be getting insurance. Yeah, welcome to Trump's America. Let's hope it doesn't have a lot longer to run. Anyway, if this isn't giving you enough of a headache, I expect that many of our listeners are currently suffering from motion sickness of some sort. Motion sickness, of course, for those who manage to follow the stock market. That's like riding on a roller coaster constantly for several weeks. We've talked on this show about reasoning fallacies. Go back and check out the episodes where we've done that. They're worth a listen to if you haven't heard them before. One of the reasons fa- reasoning fallacies we like to talk about is something called the post hoc fallacy. The post hoc fallacy is, in effect, confusing causation with correlation. In other words, just because two things seem to happen together, we attribute causation to one of them on the other. An obvious example of the post hoc fallacy is that bathing suits cause sunburn. Why? Because when people start wearing bathing suits, incidents of sunburn go way up. Obviously, one not causing the other. That's the post hoc fallacy. Where have we seen the post hoc fallacy repeatedly during the Trump administration? To the extent that Trump or Republicans try to take credit for the economy, which has generally been good over the last almost two years of the Trump administration. When faced with a potential post hoc fallacy, the way to address that is A, to look for alternative possibilities, alternative causes in the case, uh, obviously, of sunburn, it's getting hot and sunny out. In the case of the good economy, one might look for the alternative causes, such as the fact that, I don't know, for the last five or six years of the Obama administration, as we came out of the Great Recession, the economy was doing a whole lot better and just continued to do better under Trump. I guess the the Republican bumper stickers probably should read, we haven't screwed up the economy yet. So vote for us. The other thing that one does when faced with a potential post hoc fallacy is one looks to see if there's any evidence that would indicate that one thing could justifiably be seen as having caused the other thing. So we would look and see 
what could Trump have done that might have actually helped our economy? We could start with the tax cuts for billionaires and billionaire corporations, but of course, since the Republicans didn't even bother running on that one in the 2018 midterms, it seems like kind of a waste of breath to talk about the tax cuts and what an impact they may have had. But what about other things? You know, Trump has strong-armed U.S. businesses not to leave. We've had those great photo ops with him standing next to carrier representatives. Unfortunately, when we followed those stories as we have on this show, we've pointed out that as soon as the lights were off, all the jobs still left. Witness the recent discussion with GM, of course, and the threats from Trump, which so far seems to have absolutely no impact. Turns out, Trump cannot stop the movement of globalization just by throwing hissy fits. That should really surprise nobody who's actually looking into this. What else could Trump have done? Well, as we've remarked on the show, perhaps the most remarkable thing about our positive economy is the fact that Trump hasn't managed to screw it up. The fact that a president who is completely uninformed, a jackass, not interested in what's good for the country, but only what's good for himself could actually have managed to go almost two years without utterly screwing up the economy. Well, maybe his good luck has run out. His tweeting of trade wars, etc., seems to have really unnerved, finally, the stock market. And we have not only seen a tremendous sell-off over the last month plus, negating all stock market gains for the year and more, I believe, at this point, but we have seen a roller coaster ride based on whatever he manages to tweet. As if the stock market, which is supposed to be so full of wisdom, doesn't understand that they shouldn't be reading tweets from the President Trump. So much for the genius of the stock market. Well, stay tuned, because ultimately, there's no way an economy thrives when you've got a jackass as President of the United States. Speaking of presidents of the United States, of course, after a week of tributes, George H.W. Bush remains dead. When we went to record last week's show, uh, news of George H.W. Bush's passing had reached us just before we recorded. And we talked a little bit about some of the positives, and we talked about a lot of the negatives, and in fact, how he was looked upon as well as he was. His legacy will be what it is, mostly because of the absolute Republican garbage that has preceded him and succeeded him. Yes, George H.W. Bush, the best Republican president since the mid-20th century. Take a look at the Republican presidents as we're about to since the mid-20th century. We talked about his pledge of no new taxes and then going back on that pledge to raise taxes. In effect, lying to the American public in order to get elected. We talked about his running of the Willie Horton ad, a blatant dog whistle playing upon the racists, racist beliefs of most Republic, or many Republican supporters in order to get elected. We neglected putting it together at the last minute to talk about how he started a war in Panama that killed thousands of Panamanian civilians, in large part because he was tired of being called a wimp, and presumably also because 
Manuel Noriega, the head of Panama, was a CIA asset for years, and George Bush, former head of the CIA, was not happy with some of the things he did. We didn't remark about how George Bush followed Ronald Reagan's disgraceful policy of doing nothing about AIDS, and in fact, famously gave a speech where he blamed the victims for being who they are. And most egregiously, I neglected to talk about Iran-Contra and the former president's role in the Iran-Contra scandal. Iran-Contra, for our non-regular listeners, was when the United States of America under President Ronald Reagan, Ronald Reagan, because you have to do that, because, you know, he's a hero, he's a cult figure in the Republican Party, but the great and sainted Ronald Reagan sold advanced rep weaponry to a future member of the Axis of Evil, yes, Iran. He sold Iran super advanced weaponry. He took the proceeds of those sales and he gave it to support terrorism in Central America. George H.W. Bush was the vice president at that time and famously said he knew nothing about Iran-Contra. Well, it turns out he was lying about that too. That in fact he did know about Iran-Contra as we subsequently found out by looking at the notes of the defense secretary at the time, Casper Weinberger. But George H.W. Bush ultimately squashed the whole scandal and put the rest of it to bed, see if this sounds familiar to you, by pardoning all of the principals in Iran-Contra who could have testified as to Bush's role in Iran-Contra. Let's not forget about that. As President Trump seeks to pardon all those to, to end the trail of his own, to his own criminal behavior, remember that he wasn't the first Republican president, even of recent memory, to do that. But I also think, to some extent, maybe we're being a little bit churlish in, in attacking the former president. After all, he did just pass away. Not that that should whitewash his legacy, though it will, at least for the next couple of weeks. But maybe because, as we pointed out last week, as awful as his faults and his shortcomings were, God, would we take him back in a minute in any area of Republican politics? Because as we noted, when it comes to the Republican Party, he may be a liar and a criminal, Hmm, but he's the best they've had to offer in a very, very long time. Nevertheless, on at least one issue, before we get into the positives, Bush has been getting way too much credit from the media, and that is with regard to what he did with taxes. Bush is being talked about as someone who at least was willing to reach out to the other side. Old days where some Republicans would actually be willing to work with Democrats, and I think there's a lot of truth to that, obviously. But his willingness to raise taxes, I don't think was really a sign of that. The whole argument there is premised on the idea that he reluctantly had to walk into tax increases that the Democrats were demanding. Because, you know, Democrats, they're always asking for tax increases. That's what they do. But that, of course, ignores a couple of things. One, you know, even the saintly Ronald Reagan had given some sop to reality just a couple of years before and raised taxes. So the idea of raising taxes wasn't just a democratic idea. The difference here is when Bush made that promise, he was lying. He wasn't subsequently 
moved by bipartisan feeling and a fiscal responsibility to go back on his promise. He was lying when he made the promise. Every informed person in this country, as many wrote at the time, knew that taxes were going to have to go up to address the burgeoning budget deficit. But it doesn't matter. George Bush was willing to lie about it in order to get elected. You know, we look somewhat, we always say about our founding fathers that we need to go back and judge them according to their times, not according to our times. Yes, they owned slaves, but in the 18th century, it was different. The idea of owning human beings, we're supposed to believe, wasn't as awful back then. Maybe we're giving a pass to our founding fathers. I certainly think so. I don't care what the time was, owning human beings. Thoughtful people should have realized that wasn't a good idea. But even from just a few decades ago, Judge George H.W. Bush, based on his times, and that is the Republican Party wasn't quite the cult then that it is now. Even Ronald Reagan, the sainted cult figure, wasn't quite so much a cult figure while he was president. Not as much as he was afterwards when people could completely forget what he stood for and who he was. And so the idea of being as divisive, as partisan as the Republican Party routinely is now simply wasn't the norm back then. And Bush could have actually engaged in better behavior and could have agreed with his opponent in 1988, Dukakis, that taxes were probably going to have to go up. But anyway, let's go back to the let's not be churlish thing. This could be today's episode, how churlish we're being. I I guess that's a, a new slogan, Forward Nation Radio, not afraid to be churlish. Because we take him back in a heartbeat. Okay, did he lie about taxes? Yes, he did. But at least he did have some fiscal responsibility. You look at what's happening now, taxes on rich people and corporations need to be raised. (laughs) But the Republicans won't do it. It doesn't matter. They'll happily drive us off of a cliff rather than acknowledge reality. The intellectual leading light of the Republicans is Paul Ryan because he could add two plus two without using a calculator. The outgoing Speaker of the House. But his budget plan, to the extent that it exists, is bullshit, is smoke and mirrors, is lies from beginning to end. So let's point out that it was something, even in the 1990s, for the President of the United States to actually acknowledge reality. The GOP base, of course, hated him for raising taxes, not for lying to them, but for raising taxes. For the rest of us, of course, it was the other way around. And sure, George H.W. Bush lied about taxes, but, well, at least he wasn't insane. Not once during the George H.W. Bush administration was the 25th Amendment even raised. People didn't even know what the 25th Amendment, which you should know now, allows for the removal of a president for disability. Like insanity as we see with our current president, was not raised once during H.W. Bush's tenure. And yes, H.W. Bush engaged in dog whistles with the Willie Horton ads, but 
gosh, his dog whistles seem almost tame in comparison to the dog whistles of Republicans then and now. At least unlike his sainted predecessor, Reagan, he didn't go to Philadelphia, Mississippi, the site of the murder of three young civil rights workers during the civil rights movement to begin his presidential campaign. Unlike our current president, he doesn't actually associate with Nazis and white supremacists. He didn't actually talk up Nazis and white supremacists during his administration. And yes, he engages in dog whistles, but gosh, he didn't lob chemical weapons at refugee families, including children trying to find a life for themselves by seeking asylum in the United States. Under international law, the use of tear gas is illegal except to quell domestic riots. But that didn't stop U.S. Border Patrol from shooting tear gas, chemical weapon, at children trying to escape persecution and possible murder to perhaps go work in a Trump hotel, changing urine-soaked bedsheets. He wasn't part, George H.W. Bush, of a political party that apparently believes that FDR's mistake when it came to turning back the MS St. Louis, the ship loaded with Jewish refugees fleeing the Nazis. A Republican Party, he wasn't part of a Republican Party, believes that FDR's mistake wasn't turning away the ship, but not firing on it. And sure, George H.W. Bush was divisive and played to his base, but he was willing to reach out and do what was right sometimes. We're reminded that he signed the Americans with Disabilities Act into law, allowing disabled people to participate more fully in our society. At a time now when the Republicans, and even then, were trying to destroy affirmative action entirely, the ADA, we should note, is affirmative action for disabled people. Where it's not enough to just refuse to hire disabled people, you actually have to reasonably accommodate them where you can to allow them to participate fully in our society. And yes, George H.W. Bush lied us into a war in Panama, but at least he cared about his country, which certainly the current president doesn't. His son probably didn't. God knows his son's vice president, who was running this country for a long time, didn't give a crap about this country, Dick Cheney. But Bush cared about this country and belonged in an age, came from an age, where people who believed in this country and supported wars actually were willing to go fight in that war. And we should not leave out the fact that George H.W. Bush fought in World War II and almost died in World War II. He apparently didn't have bone spurs. Unlike his son, he did have a daddy, or like his son, he did have a daddy who could have bought him out of the war. But he didn't, unlike his son. And sure, George H.W. Bush lied to get the presidency, but at least he didn't steal his way in like his son did, and very possibly the current president did. Well, 
certainly the current president did. At the, at the very least, even if he didn't tamper with the votes, not yet North Carolina, even if he didn't tamper with the votes, votes, he stole his way in by colluding with Russia. So the last two Republican presidents have least, at least have stolen their way into the presidency. And so just lying your way in makes George H.W. Bush seem like a real upstanding citizen. And sure, H.W. Bush did nothing about climate change. But let's remember that this was 1990. Climate change wasn't quite understood to be the threat that it's clearly understood to be now when Republicans continue to do nothing about climate change. In fact, at least George H.W. Bush didn't do a lot to make it worse, like every Republican president who've succeeded him has. Speaking of climate change, we talked last week about the quadrennial national climate assessment that had come out. Our own government, 13, I think it is, agencies that together put together the national climate assessment that found out basically that we're jumping off a cliff. And this week, we found out that a major report from scientists is likening the quickening rate of greenhouse gases to a speeding freight train in talking about how awful and how quick we are going to feel the consequences. So in response to these dire warnings about climate change, the current president of the United States naturally decides to make things a whole lot worse. He announced this week that he will be opening up an additional 9 million acres to oil exploration. And no, that's not Anwar, the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge we talked about last week. He'd opened that up a long time ago. They're just moving quickly, developing that before the sons of bitch are thrown, bitches are thrown out of power. No, he's opening up 9 million more acres. I think the largest opening up to oil to oil degradation in at least a long time, if not in history. Nine million acres that were protected in large part to protect a sensitive environment, including the threatened bird, the sage grouse. If only we could elect a sage grouse as president and show so little interest in it. I know people have been long been asking, Republicans have long been asking, and Oil people have long been asking, who needs the sage grouse? Well, I would strongly suggest Trump supporters that you don't go there. The sage grouse is a beautiful bird whose role in our environment is probably not fully understood, but which is an integral part of our environmental infrastructure. Whereas Trump supporters, what purpose do you people serve? Speaking again of climate change, been in the news this week, the Yellow Vest protests in France. Yes, ordinary workers in France have been protesting a proposed increase in the gas tax. I was asked about this in class this week by a student who who understandably said, well, you know, don't these people have a valid concern? These are poor people who can't afford the extra money the gas tax. And I said, look, the, the problem here is we've got two separate problems. The gas tax is necessary. It is necessary because of this issue 
it is necessary politically, it is necessary economically because of this issue of market externalities that we've talked about in the past. The fact that people who burn oil and oil companies that pull oil out of the ground are not responsible for the damage they cause, that's market failure. The market, in order to have any hopes of operating efficiently, needs to have people responsible for the consequences of their own actions. And gas taxes, and I've argued on this show many times that this country needs to dramatically increase its gas tax, in large part because those of us who are burning gas are not paying the costs of burning that gas. We are dumping it onto unsuspecting others, including the planet, and not paying for it. Therefore, we are using way too much gas and destroying the planet at a rate we shouldn't be destroying it, clearly. Politically, we need to do something about this, and we need to reduce our use of fossil fuels. The problem is that does run against the idea that too many people in this world don't have enough money and can't afford life's basic necessities. Obviously, we need a Marshall Plan to address our climate problems. And what we need to do is use less fossil fuels. And we need to invest in public transportation and other infrastructure. And we need, frankly to help cover the cost of poor people who can't afford to pay the cost of fuel. And that needs to come from wealthier people who are using a lot of fuel and not paying for it. So it doesn't mean we don't need to institute a gas tax. What it means is we need to do some more income redistribution to help poor people pay the increased gas tax. That's the lesson from France. In additional climate news, the Trump administration has just indicated that they are going to be relaxing pollution regulations on water sources that provide about 60% of the drinking water to America. Yes, that's right. That's the Trump administration's latest environmental plan. Allow more pollutants in the water that your children drink. And again, what's the big problem here? Farmers are very upset that they don't get to pollute your drinking water for free. No offense to farmers, but if for you to make a profit, you need to let your nitrogen and other stuff run off into public waterways and make people sick, you need to figure out a different way to get profits, or we need to reprice your products. But finally, with respect to George H.W. Bush, sure, he let President Trump attend his funeral, unlike John McCain, whose last act was to make an important political statement. But at least George H.W. Bush made some political statement by not allowing the President of the United States to speak at his funeral. Again, think about this. This is basically unprecedented. Anyway, speaking of talking about things once they're gone, democracy. Democracy in America. Yes, Wisconsin and Michigan and basically all across America, Republicans who have been voted out of power before they leave are doing everything they can to strip incoming Democrats of any power they might have. Obviously, in Wisconsin and Michigan, 
stripping the incoming Democratic governors of power. Yes, this is democracy, Republican style. The really scary part about this, in fact, is how Republican leaders have been justifying their actions. Talking about the people's will when they've just been overwhelmingly voted out of office, at least in the governor's race. But especially Wisconsin, you will recall that we have talked about this a lot. That Wisconsin legislature remains in Republican hands, firmly in Republican hands, in fact. With Republicans having at least 63 out of 99 seats in the Wisconsin Assembly, despite a divided state. And yet, Democrats receive 54% of the vote. That's, believe it or not, a pretty huge margin in the Wisconsin legislature in favor of Democrats. And yet, the Republicans control about two-thirds of the legislature. Why? (laughs) Because there's no democracy there. Because they have so gerrymandered that they have taken voting away from the people. So they will talk about this standing up for democracy. But clearly Republicans have no interest in democracy. And what this is about is trying to destroy whatever last vestiges of democracy there are before they get kicked out. That's the problem here. Democracy and voting, as I have said ad nauseum on this show, is anathema to the current GOP, which does not win elections unless they engage in election fraud, voter suppression, and outright theft. That's okay, though. A lot of this stuff is going to end up in front of the United States Supreme Court. And once again, we come full circle to the evil involved. And yes, I don't use the term evil loosely. This is evil. These people are absolute evil. I do not believe in capital punishment. Yet it's on our books. If stopping people from voting in America, if destroying democracy and the very fabric of U.S. civilization is not treason, and is not a hanging offense? I'm not sure I know what is. And yes, actually, I know that under the constitutional definition of treason, this may not apply. But what a statement about how many people in America now have a much better nuanced understanding of the legal definition of treason because of the political party running this country. I don't believe in the death penalty, so I don't believe they should be hung. But I believe that basically every Republican leader who's party to this and party to what its party has been doing for the last several years in this country should be thrown into a dungeon after being duly tried and convicted and left to rot there for the rest of their disgusting lives. What's going on in North Carolina, which we remarked upon last week, but we barely had any idea what this iceberg was like. That the Republican candidate, Mark Harris, a pastor, (laughs) a a big favorite of the evangelical community, hired a cheating scumbag with a long history of cheating on elections to cheat with respect to absentee ballots. And every day, more information trickles out about how Republicans have blatantly stolen an election in North Carolina. The Republican leader in North Carolina even apparently indicated there may have to be 
a re-election. No, there may not just have to be a re-election. There needs to be people going to prison for a very long time. By the way, all those Republican leaders who've been really, really upset about mythical voting fraud, where are they on this one? Are any of them talking about it? Is Trump tweeting, yay, we won, we found voter fraud? Is Marco Rubio doing so? Oh, no, no, no. Because Republican leaders don't have any integrity at all. They're criminal scum. And they should be tried and they should be thrown in prison right after Trump gets impeached. The Democratic Party, the House of Representatives, is talking that if Republicans do try to seat Mark Harris, stealing the election, that maybe they won't seat him. Maybe they will refuse to seat him. This is a no-brainer, Democrats. Grow some balls. If they don't do a new election or certify the Democrat the winner, having found out how many votes were stolen, you need to not seat this guy. Democrats need to start fighting like Republicans do. The only solution to what's going on in this country, the absolute destruction of U.S. democracy, and trust me, the Republicans will destroy whatever is left of U.S. democracy if they can, because it is the only way they can maintain power. We are already at the point where the only way to defeat them is to crush them, as, we've, as we saw with the National House of Representatives. Because they've already cheated so much that Democrats have to crush them in order to slightly eke out a victory. Well, everybody out there better get their friends to remain energized, to get people to register to vote, and to get them to the polls. Because we need to win really, really big. Because at some point, even those of us on the left who are used to taking it are going to have to acknowledge that if there is no democracy left in this country and we continue to be run by a minority of absolute fucking criminals and morons, that some version of civil war is inevitable. Anyway, before we leave, just one last comment. Um, apologies or, or condolences to Gail Collins, friend of the show, longtime New York Times columnist. Gail Collins uh, has for a long time been running a column about who is the worst Trump cabinet official. Well, I'm not sure she's going to be able to run that contest for a while, at least not as long as Alex Acosta remains our labor secretary. In the category of, it is hard to imagine it could get worse, but it just keeps getting worse. We have Alex Acosta, who managed to whitewash and cover up serial sexual abuse of minors. Who managed to cover up a wealthy Republican donor's apparently, allegedly, repeated sexual trafficking of young girls. That's right. A, a child sexual trafficker. And this guy brushed it under the rug and kept him out of prison for the rest of his life, which is what should be happening. This is now 
with regard to the rest of the Trump cabinet, this is the Mississippi of Trump cabinet officials. And by Mississippi, I mean Mississippi is the state that all the other states say, thank God for Mississippi, because they suck so bad that no matter how shitty we are, we can't be last in anything. And this is now presumably what's being whispered and thought by Trump cabinet officials. Wow. They're not going to talk about what a criminal piece of shit I am as long as this guy's around. Cool. Cabinet officials, Republican style. Anyway, thanks for listening this week. That's this week's show. We will have more depressing news, I'm sure, next week. Thanks for listening. Please do get your friends to listen to our show. Share us as you can with others. And we'll see you next week. Have a good week. You've been listening to Forward Nation Radio with David Leventhal. 